you have a Bible, if you'd like to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, we'll be going there in a moment here this morning, continue our series on learning from the life of Elijah. Going to 1 Kings 19. Uh, just a question as we kind of get going. Um, have you ever had a spiritual high? Have you ever been spiritual high? It's like I'm talking like mountaintop experiences, peaks, where maybe you went on like a missions trip somewhere and you, you saw God at work in another country and, and you were just like so fired up. Or, or maybe you went to a conference where there's a bunch of believers together, heard some great preaching, worship. You come back, you're so fired up. Maybe even just those who, who led worship. You walk away just like, yes, you're on top of the mountain. Or maybe after, for those who have been baptized, you know, when you get baptized and everyone's around you and they're celebrating, you're just like, yes, I see so clearly what I'm supposed to be about walking with the Lord. Or maybe you, you start to share your faith a little bit more. You're stepping out and you just, you, you're meeting with people. You're telling people about Jesus. Or you're like, I, I'm, I've decided I'm going to start reading the Bible more. I'm opening it up and I'm, I'm feasting on God's word. And you start to have those mountaintop experiences. We, we have those, right, as we walk with the Lord, but have you ever gotten low, spiritual low? There's peaks, there's also valleys. It can come for many reasons. It can last for different times. Most of us have experienced a spiritual high, but we also know what a spiritual low is like when we feel like we're in a rut. God doesn't hear our prayers. We have little strength. Maybe you haven't experienced it, but unfortunately you will. The reality of our lives on this earth is that we are broken. We live in a broken world. And uh, though there, there are spiritual highs, there's also spiritual lows. And sometimes the spiritual low keeps going on. We can clarify that like spiritual depression, it can feel like. But isn't, that's, a, that's the Christian life. We need to understand there's peaks and there's valleys. There's mountaintop experiences and then there's there's times where you just feel all alone. In this message here this morning, we'll be continuing to learn from the life of Elijah, thinking about looking at his life. How do you get back up when you get spiritually low, when you're in those valleys, when you're struggling? How do you get back up when you're low? Uh, if you want to stand with me as we read God's Word together, again, 1 Kings 19, we'll be looking at verses 1 to 18 this morning. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broken pieces, the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The Lord said to him, Go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. The one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. I've titled this message, Peaks and Valleys. I think it's obvious why. Uh, but before saying anything else, I just, I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer. If you want to pray with me. Oh God, God Almighty, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, just because you're so gracious and so kind. I pray, oh Lord, by your Holy Spirit, you give us open ears and open hearts. I pray you administer to us those who do not know you. May they see their need for Jesus Christ. May you draw them to yourself. Lord, those who are suffering, who are in a, a dark valley right now, Lord, may they see a light shine through. Those who are, are just maybe have the, your joy in them, Lord, continue that. But God, meet each one of us through the preaching of your word. May you use it to further your purposes in our hearts and our lives, and that Jesus Christ would be glorified. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Okay, I'm just maybe hearing, I don't know. I speak too loud or something. Uh, verse 17. Uh, I mean, not verse 17, just a recap, like where we're at before we jump in. Chapter 17, Elijah appears on the scene. It's not going to rain without uh, a word from him, a word from the Lord. It doesn't rain for three and a half years. In chapter 17, Elijah, he's provided for by God, by ravens. They bring him bread and they bring him meat. Amazing. He, then he's sent into Sidon, which is north of Israel. And then God uses uh, or provides for Elijah by this widow who has a jug and a jar that does not empty. Provides for the widow and her son and Elijah. Amazing God's provision. Even in chapter 17, the widow's son dies. And God, through Elijah, raises his son back from the dead. You ju just think about the things that Elijah has seen that he's witnessed. In chapter 18, we've been looking at, of course, the showdown with the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. And they go to Mount Carmel and they have this uh, sacrifice, who's gonna, who actually serves the living and true God, right? And the prophets of Baal have nothing, no one hears, no one listens. And then there's Elijah as he cries out, fire falls down onto the altar, it consumes everything. Amazing what he's seen, and then after that, what he prays for rain, seven times, and, and then rain comes on the earth. And if that's not enough, at the end of chapter 18, kind of the hand of the Lord upon him, he runs past the chariot of Ahab and gets to Jezreel. So you just think about the things that he's seen, experienced in those two chapters. It's pretty amazing. You think about being on a, a mountaintop. He literally was on Mount Carmel, but he left there. But like a spiritual high, like the things that he's seen. Elijah, the man of faith, so many miracles. God has shown himself so high and mighty. But as we see, as we shall see, he doesn't stay in this position of faith. Instead, in the next chapter, we find him in the lowest of lows. If you look at me with uh, 1 Kings 19, 1-4, I want us to see how, how do you get spiritually depressed. Of course, we don't want to, but just look at the steps. Look at Elijah's life. I think we can learn from him how to get spiritually depressed, and kind of also how to spot the signs if we have that in our own lives. So Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Think about Ahab saw the fire fall down on the sacrifice. Ahab saw that Elijah had prayed for rain. It, it rained. It hadn't rained for three and a half years, but he doesn't come saying, look at what happened. Fire fell down from the sky. It was It was amazing. It's, ra it's raining. No, he's like, hey, he killed the prophets of Baal. He goes right there. 
uh, Ahab's blind spiritually. He cannot see the hand of God that just was working all around him. He does not know that the Lord is truly God. And so he goes and he talks to his wife Jezebel. If we recall who Jezebel is, that's his wife. She was actually from Sidon, north of Israel. And when she came and married Ahab, she brought with her the Baal worship. They, and, and under kind of her uh, leadership, they built a temple to Baal. And so Baal worship, worship became the dominant religion. And then they also fed 450 prophets of Baal at their table. So he goes right away like, hey, the prophets have been killed by Elijah. In verse, verse 2, look at uh, Jezebel's reaction. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And you think like uh, if we had read previously in, in chapter 18, we know that Jezebel actually already sought to kill all the people, the prophets of the Lord. And we don't know how many she killed, but a guy named Obadiah, he spared a hundred of them. Uh, but all the rest were killed. So Jezebel is like not just like, you know, just bluffing. She had already done this before. And so Elijah hears that. He knows who Jezebel is, that she is a, a wicked woman and she's dangerous. She's not bluffing. So look what happens. So he gets this word in verse 3. Then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Notice he, he took his eyes off the Lord. He focused on Jezebel. He was scared. He didn't think about the victory on Mount Carmel or, or God sending rain. But on Jezebel, he focused on his problems. He was nasal gazing. What I mean by that, it's like if you're looking down, looking at your belly button, right? You're not, you're not looking up at the Lord. He is looking down. He was focused inward or focused outward, but he wasn't looking up. That's what he was focused on. It's, it's almost like, just think about this. It's almost like going for a hike in the mountains. I love the mountains, so I'll just keep using analogies from the mountains. But you go to a, a hike in the mountain, you get to a certain place, and like beautiful, right? You can see forever at times. But imagine you go there, and then there's like some garbage on the ground because people drop things on the trail. And instead of seeing the beautiful view, you're just like, man, it's so dirty. They, oh, come on. And it's that, that's what happens. That's what Elijah's doing. He's taking his eyes off what the Lord was doing, which is so clear, and he's focusing on the garbage, focusing on the problems in himself. So just, just think about this. When we, we start looking at Elijah, thinking about, like, what are the signs of being low, being in the valley, or spiritual depression, right? Like, if you were a doctor, uh, what would be the... What would be the symptoms that we're looking for? One of the, the signs or symptoms of spiritual depression is to focus on yourself and your problems. Right? That Elijah was doing. He hears about that and he wants to turn and run. One uh, commentator, Tony Merida, says this, For the believer, the battle never ends. Yesterday's victory doesn't ensure today's success. Every day we must rely on God's power to overcome our challenges. Right? So it's not even enough for Elijah to look back. He had to, like, with fresh faith today, look forward. But instead, he was focused on himself. He was focused on his problems. He was focused on Jezebel. Another sign of uh, spiritual depression is my will be done, not God's. Every time we saw Elijah kind of move previous, it was at the word of the Lord. In, in 1 Kings 17, verse 2, it says that the word of the Lord came to him. Verse 3, depart from here. In, in 1 Kings 17, verse 8, the word of the Lord came to him, arise and go. And we see it in, in, at the start of chapter 18. Always it was the word of the Lord, go. And the word of the Lord, go. We don't see this at all. Elijah, and he, he made it up himself. He's like, I'm just going to go. God didn't tell him to. That's a, kind of a sign of getting spiritually low. It's like, my will be done, not the Lord's. We see that in Elijah. We see he goes from Jezreel, which is northern Israel, to Beersheba, which was like southern Judah. So he goes as far away as he can uh, from Jezebel. He's, he's taking off. He was afraid. Notice what does he do? It says he left his servant there. He, he was actually he was like done with ministry. He's finished. This is Elijah. 
It's so shocking. After 17 and 18, you see what happens right in front of his eyes. But he separates himself from his servant. When we get down, we separate ourselves from other people, do we not? Like, is that a good idea? When we're feeling low, we're like, okay, hey, I'm, I'm going to deal with this. I don't want to see anyone. I think that can be another symptom of spiritual depression, separating ourselves from other people. He ran. He was seemingly done with ministry. So just think, if, if, if maybe in your life you see someone else who they're focusing on themselves and their problems, they're saying, my will be done, not the Lord's will, and they're starting to distance themselves from other people. Starting to be in a low, starting to be in the valley. Perhaps spiritual depression. Look at verse 4 with me. So he, he stops, he leaves his servant, but then he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a broom tree, the tree in the desert. And he asked that he might die, saying, it's, it's enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Isn't that crazy? He was so down, he wanted to die. He wasn't on the mountain anymore, he was down in the depths of the lowest place. And think about what he prayed for previously. He prayed for the, the widow that she would be fed. Her jar and jug just kept being filled. He prayed for the widow's son to have life and was given life. He, he prayed for fire to fall and it came. He prayed for rain to come. This is all the Lord answering these prayers. Think about the prayers he prayed. And now he was praying that he might die. But his prayer was never, never answered. If you know the story of Elijah, God never answered that prayer. He never died. In the Old Testament, you have Enoch, who is taken from the Lord. You have Elijah, who, if you kept reading, was taken in, in chariots of fire. So God did not hear that prayer of the prophet. It's, I just find that funny. But uh, <laughs> his prayer was, not, was never answered. But think about how drained he was. He was drained physically. Even though he had the hand of the Lord upon him, like running, such a far distance, then I don't know if it's walking or the journey from the northern part of Israel to Beersheba to further. Like he covered so much. Physically, he's exhausted. Emotionally, he's exhausted. He's experienced such an emotional high. Like, have you ever experienced something that gives you like an emotional high? What he must have experienced on Mount Carmel, like the people turning to the Lord, fire coming down. They're like, hey, kill the prophets of Baal. Like, whoa, what is going on? It finally rains. I, I let every Sunday. I experience an emotional high, and every Monday, <laughs> hello. I don't know if you know ever any big event, graduation, a wedding, if you're planning, if you're getting married, or if you're like really close, and you spend so much time and energy towards this one day, and it happens, and it's like just explosive, and the next day, you're drained, right? We've all experienced that. Like, after the high often comes a great low. I think this was happening for Elijah, Think about that, though. How could Elijah, such a man of faith, fall into such despair? You're like, is this in, like, does this happen? But just think, it reminds me of another mighty man of God who also went from a spiritual high to the lowest of lows. You can turn there or just listen. I'm just looking at Luke chapter 7, verse 18 to 19. I just want to just point out something from the life of John the Baptist. Right in the New Testament, we read of John. He has this a special birth. He's the cousin of Jesus. He has this successful ministry. He, he, his ministry was to prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way for the Messiah. He baptizes people. He baptizes Jesus. John the Baptist. What a guy. Later on in his life, he's thrown in jail for calling out King Herod because King Herod married his brother's sister. He's like, that... God's not pleased with that. He gets thrown in jail. But look at this. While he's in jail, he's feeling low. But how do we know that? Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 18 and 19 with me. This is John's in jail, John the Baptist. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, all the things that Jesus had done. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Did you catch that? John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who baptized Jesus, who saw even the Spirit descend upon him like a dove and heard the Father say, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, 
when he's in jail by himself, he's like, send to Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? Are, are you the Messiah? He's doubting in the darkness in jail. Think about that. Look at these men of faith. If they can fall prey to spiritual lows, how much more us as well? Like, it, how can we go from a high to a low and we can go so quickly in a moment? Just, just think, just even in marriage, right, we can be experiencing something so good and then maybe start fighting and bickering and all of a sudden we're at war with one another. It could, it could lead to quite a low. We could, you could have a job that you put all your identity in and lose it and all of a sudden you're like, who am I? Of course, you could, you could fall into some sin habitually over and over again and you're just struggling and fighting and you just start to go down into the depths. You can't see God over and over again. It just becomes blurry. Quite simply, you can go into a low, I think, just because of a lack of sleep. Or, or just busy seasons, busy, busy. It just never ends. But just, friends, we need to realize, like, if you think, if you have a balloon and you just kept blowing it, could you just keep blowing it forever? No, eventually it's going to pop. It has a capacity we all have a capacity. Sometimes a busy season, we keep going and going, eventually it just breaks us and it takes us to a low or it could be a death in the family. It could be a sickness to you or a close one. Unfortunately, the examples are too numerous that we can go from a spiritual high to a spiritual low. There are many. We all get spiritually low, but again, the question, how do you get back up again when you are low? How do you, not that how do you return to the, to the peak, to the mountain, but how do you get out of the valley? I think we can learn that by looking continually at the life of Elijah here, going back to the first kings, looking at verses 5 to 8. The first thing I want you to see is uh, we just need to get back up physically. It's like there's, there's nothing really exciting about saying that, but I would still want you to see that. Look at verses 5 to 7. Elijah, he's left. He's went into the desert, and he laid down, and he slept under a broom tree. Again, just this tree in the desert. Find some shade. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he, he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Just notice this, though. Here we see God's uh, kindness and goodness. Like, he, he doesn't come with the angel to, like, smack, like, rebuke him, like, get up, what are you doing? He sends an angel to give him bread and give him water, to feed him, to nourish him. Friends, we, know, we, we need to know this. God is so gentle with the hurting. Like, we see, this, we see this in the life of Jesus. We see this here. God is so gentle with the hurting. Just, just think about this. The angel comes and brings bread. Like food is a, a gift of God. We need to always give thanks when we have food. Whenever we don't have food, I don't know if anyone's ever been hangry. Like you don't eat food and you just start to get like, whoa, don't go around that person. I'm, unfortunately, I, I can get like that too quickly. So just think he hasn't had food, so he gets bread from the Lord. He, he's fed, but then what else is he doing? He's sleeping. He sleeps. He's exhausted. And so he sleeps. And sleep is actually a gift from the Lord too. A good night's sleep. Like, have you ever not slept for a time? Those young parents, you don't even have to nod. <laughs> but like, just anytime you go through a season where you haven't slept very well, like, I don't know, we can, we can change Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, like, really fast. <laughs> no food, lack of sleep. That's what he needed. He ate some food and he slept. Think about it. He's, still, he's fed in this miraculous way by an angel coming. But he's still, he's so low, he can't see it. He can't see really the hand of God in it because of his mental, because of his spiritual uh, state. I just want you to notice too, God didn't give him ice cream or something deep fried. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know about you. I'm feeling low. I want comfort food. Right? Unfortunately, I like sweet and salty chocolate and chips, like whatever it is, and it's like, you know, you're, you're just feeling so drained, you're like, if I just, and it doesn't help you. It doesn't help you. Friends, or maybe sometimes you're just feeling low, you're like, man, I just want to go 
onto you, on my phone. And I, I still do that, like, Lord, help me. But do you ever, like, walk away from, like, an hour on your phone and be like, I've, I'm refreshed. <laughs> that, I feel good. I don't know if anyone has ever experienced that <laughs> before. So just a really simple application. Sometimes the godliest thing you can do when you're feeling low is to get a good sleep and eat right. Sometimes that's it. And just as we continue to go on, I just want to say in this message, too, kind of two things. One, maybe for some people here, uh, they're not dealing with just a low, they're dealing with severe depression. And it's like darkness, and they can't see, and it's been a long time. And again, so we live in this broken world, our bodies are broken. And and, and maybe for some, there's a brokenness you carry around with you, and, and I still would encourage you to apply this message and walk in it but maybe you need to see someone else, and it's okay to see a doctor. I think if you need help with that, that's very real. And, and secondly, also, maybe for some, maybe if you've just lost a loved one and you're mourning, there, there, there's, a, there's a time to mourn. And I'm not saying, hey, get back up right away. You need to take the time to do that. just want to mention that as well. So he had to get back up physically. Look at verse 8 with me, and he's going to go on a journey. He arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. 40 days and 40 nights, right? We see this in the Bible often when God's going to do a special work. It rained 40 days and 40 nights. The spies, uh, as they went into to take the land, 40 days and 40 nights. We saw in Jonah, for those of us who are there, he says in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. So again, the writer is like telling us something of spiritual significance is about to happen. Also, where is Elijah going? <laughs> He's going to Mount Horeb. Does anyone know what Mount Horeb is? It's, it's Mount Sinai, where Moses received the Ten Commandments. And actually, if you look at the next, uh, the next verse, in verse 9, it says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And, and actually in the Hebrew it says there he came to the cave. And it could be that Elijah, I think he actually wants to go to Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb and he wants a Moses-like experience. He might be even going to the same cave that when God uh, appeared to Moses and he hid him before the cleft of a rock and appeared before him in Exodus 32. I, I th- he might be going to that spot. That's debatable, but I think he actually is wanting a Moses-like experience going down to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, right? He wanted a similar encounter with God, something big, something mighty. Often when we're down, we want the miraculous, right? An experience, something special. If God would just really show up in a major way, I'd, I'd get out of my spiritual depression. But we'll see that's, that's not what happens with Elijah, So looking at verses 9 to 12 with me, you get back up seeking God. You get back up physically, you get back up seeking God. So again, so he goes through this cage and he lodges in it, verse 9. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Like what a stirring question from God. God's call to like reassess his position. Maybe just ask like, what are you doing here this morning? Why are you here? What are you expecting? Interesting, he asked him a second time later. Look at Elijah's response, though. He said in verse 10, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword, and even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. You just think, does he not remember Mount Karma? Like, we don't know the time period, actually, between the end of verse 18 and, and 19. We don't know how long has been spent. But it says in on Mount Carmel, in 18, verse 39, all the people, when they saw the fire fall, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Like, there's all these people who turned back. Elijah can't remember that. He's like, I'm the only one who's alone. He found out earlier from the guy Obadiah. Obadiah is like, I spared 100 prophets of the Lord. There's 100 of them alive. He doesn't remember that. He's focused on himself. He's, they seek my life. Like, is that an exaggeration like Jezebel does? He's like, everyone's out, out to get me. Isn't that it, though? When we're down in the dumps, we remember things differently. 
we see things differently or we can't see things at all. Right? If you're just down in that spiritual lowness, you can be sitting in a church service like this with brothers and sisters in the Lord who love you and just like, I'm alone. I'm so utterly alone, which is not true. But that's how we can see things. That's how Elijah was seeing it. But look at this, God's word to him in verse 11. He said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. I love like, what was he expecting? He's going out, he's kind of stepping out. I think again, he was expecting something amazing, something mighty. He's on Mount Sinai. He knows the history of what has happened there. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Like if you just notice that repetition, three huge loud occurrences, but the Lord was not in them. And if we uh, if we would have taken time to just look at Exodus 19, when Moses goes upon the mountain, there's like thunder and lightning. There's fire. The, God descends upon fire. The mountain is shaking. All those things are happening in Moses' time. So I imagine each time it's happening, Elijah's like, is this it? But the Lord was not in any of them. And then what? And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. I don't know if you have a footnote in your Bible uh, next to that, mine says, or a sound, a thin silence. And the reason, it's like hard to translate. How do you translate uh, the sound of silence? Because that, that, that's what it is. After all those occurrences, is the sound of silence that draws him out. Elijah goes expecting to meet God in something big, something loud and amazing. But it's in quietness that God chooses to reveal himself to his servant. I, I think this is a great reminder for us. We need to find times where we get quiet before the Lord. I think God was also showing Elijah. Not only he, he's like, yes, I'm the God of Mount Carmel. I'm there with you in those amazing things. I'm also the God in the desert when you're fleeing. I'm the, the God on, the, on now Mount Horeb when there's nothing. It's just silence. I'm, I'm still with you. I think that's an important point we need to take. God is the God of the normal and mundane as much as he is the God of the fantastic and miraculous. Sometimes in our, in our Christian life, we're always looking for the big or the next big thing. We're like, but in the normal everyday life, God's there. He's there with us. And it's interesting he meets God, or God meets him in the silence. We kind of talked about this last week, persevering prayer. Find a place. Go get quiet with the Lord. Look, like Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am the Lord. We need times to be quiet in order to seek God. It's like turn off the TV, put away the phone, put on airplane mode, maybe go for a walk, whatever. I, every time you see people walking nowadays, everyone has earbuds in, myself included. It's like take them out, go somewhere, seek the Lord. In quietness, he met him. All for the purpose of, and we want to do this all for the purpose to seek God. I think, I think we need to seek God. We need to do it in quietness. And we need to get back up seeking God. We're going to talk more about that here in a second. So it's not, so he sought God. That's a good thing. Instead of trying to seek so many other things, to get out of a spiritual low, being down in the depths, right? We, we can go after so many other things. It can be like, man, I just need some, some entertainment, maybe, maybe some, some pleasure, Maybe, maybe just pour myself into a hobby, whatever it is, and we're like, but it's, it's still, there's nothing. I'm still feeling low. We need to see God in the quiet. We need to seek God. Look at this as he's seeking God. He gets this word from God. I want you to see in verses 13 to 18, you get back up hearing from God. So you need to be seeking God, getting quiet, then you need to hear from God. Verse 13, it says this, And when Elijah heard it, that sound of the, the low whisper, he wrapped his face in his cloak of reverence for God, and he went and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, 
What are you doing here, Elijah? Again, the question. He answers the exact same way. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face, oh, sorry, and he said in verse 14, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life, and they take it to take it away. He gives the same reply. He was so low, he was so down, he was still looking at himself. He was still looking inward. Again, when we're low, we need to hear a word from God. We need to get our eyes off of ourselves. Notice God's response to him. And again, he doesn't slap him upside the head. He doesn't say, you fool. But actually, God shows Elijah where he's at work, both now and in the future. Look at verse 15 and 16 with me. I believe we see over everything else that God is sovereign over all. He wants him to know, hey, I have a plan right now. I have a plan in the future. Interesting, he begins, and the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. He's like, actually, I have work for you to do. God doesn't explain himself. He's like, actually, Elijah, yes, you're down. I, I still have things for you to do, things to accomplish. The Lord said, go on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. Jehu, the son of Mimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. Elisha, the son of Saphat of Abel, Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Friends, the very interesting thing about this, God's showing he's in control of the situation. He's showing, hey, yeah, don't worry about Ahab, don't worry about Jezebel. I, I, I rule over these nations. And this is the interesting thing. If, you would, if you'd read on what God says will happen, but it doesn't actually happen, the two things, first two things, in Elijah's lifetime. It's actually Elisha, the one who would come after him, who would anoint Hazel to be king. And then Jehu, king of Israel, Elisha sends someone else to anoint him. Elijah doesn't even do it. But God's like, hey, I'm calling you to this. God's like, I'm going to make it happen. I am sovereign. I'm in control here, Elijah. He, God was proclaiming his sovereignty, I believe, to Elijah. We need to take this to heart about our own lives. Is God control of our lives? I know it's easier to answer like yes when things are going well or according to plan, but what about when the unexpected happens, when our plans fail or when we're, we're low or depressed? We need to know God is still in control. Right? I heard someone once say the sun is still shining even if the clouds are covering it. Maybe we're reminded that however, it doesn't matter what we feel, God still has us. And this world in his hands, just think small for a moment and we're going to get bigger. That, that God knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows the very hairs on our head. All the days for us were written in a book. We can't change them. That's Psalm 139. Right? It, it also says, uh, he sets the places we'll, we, where we will live that we might seek him. In Acts 17, 26 to 27, he puts rulers in place and he disposes them at his own pleasure. He puts the stars in the sky, and not one of them is missing. That's Isaiah 40. And all things are held together by him. All things, as far as you can comprehend. That's Colossians 1.16 about Jesus Christ. From the smallest to however big the largest that we can imagine, God has it. Right? That song, he has the whole world in his hands. It, that's true. <laughs> That's a ch we should sing that. Hum it to ourselves. But do you see what this is doing? What I'm doing, I'm taking our eyes off of ourselves and it's expanding bigger and bigger and we're looking at God. That's what actually God was doing to Elijah. Okay, get up. I have these things for you to do, these people for you to talk to. God is sovereign over all. That was a word for Elijah. Look in verse, in the second part of 16. God gives friends. He, he's told to go anoint Elisha to be prophet in his place. He gets another brother to do ministry with. I just, I don't know if it's in God's humor, like, why are their names so close? <laughs> Elijah, Elisha. I, I just think it's funny, like, who, who are we talking about? But Elijah means Yahweh is God. Elisha means God is salvation. Remember, Elijah is like, I'm all alone, Lord. There's no one with me. Now he gets this other brother to do ministry with, someone to be at his right side, someone to do life with. God knew what he needed. God knows what we need, right? Do we need people in our lives? 
We're not meant to be lone rangers. Jesus sent out people two by two. Even the cults learn from this. We, we can't do the Christian walk on our own. You need to take time to invest in relationships, friendships. I, I pray we need to do this before trials hit. That's so we can carry one another's burdens, have people walk with us. I know just even in, in ministry, I've been so blessed. We met as elders uh, on Friday and just having Dave and Rob just walking alongside. What, what a blessing that is. And, and Roger, a previous, like what a joy just to have men in this church in my life. So Elijah gets this. To get back, hey, you need this person in your life. But look at verse 18. Not skipping over verse 17, but that was fulfilled later on as we read. But verse 18, this is his last word to Elijah before he sends him out. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. I want you to see here, God provides and keeps the faithful. God provides the faithful, and God keeps the faithful. There's 7,000 who had not bowed to Baal. There were faithful followers out there. God's saying, Elijah, get your head up. There's, there's more than you think. You're not alone. This could be a literal number, or it could be symbolic of the divinely preserved godly remnant. And either way, Elijah just needed to know he wasn't alone. There's many who were not bowing the knee to, to Baal. God made sure there was faithful in the land. Elijah wasn't alone because God kept 7,000 for himself. God did it. Interesting, so the Apostle Paul uses this scripture in Romans. I just want to turn there. Romans chapter 11, 1 to 5, where Paul uses this scripture in the New Testament to talk about election, to talk about how God chooses. In Romans 10, the Apostle Paul is talking about how, like, how come all of Israel is not saved? Is God forgetting about Israel? And he goes into Romans 11, kind of answering that question. I just want you to see this. Verses 1 to 5. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself, an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, has God not rejected his people, whom he foreknew? Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Again, just over and over again, we hear this. Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone and left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Look at verse 5. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if we're we're confused about what's being said, there's verse 6. If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no, no longer be grace. That God has the power to save people. That he is in charge of that. That he is so kind and he's so merciful. He has the remnant. In Elijah's time, God had set apart a group of people for himself. Friends, in our time, God has set apart a group of people for himself. That needs to be encouraging to us. Not a doctrine to maybe to argue over, but like, man, if I'm in the Lord, I'm in God's hands. He has me under control. That's part of the beauty of the church, right? You gather with other people who are following Jesus. We need to know God is calling a people to himself, and he's preserving a people for himself in Canada, around the world. Whatever, whatever happens in Canada, if the economy is good or it tanks, or, or we're, we're having a great day or a bad day, or you're feeling a spiritual high or the lowest of lows, if you're in Jesus Christ, God has you, because it's not on you. It's on the Lord. That is an amazing thing we need to take to heart. May we be encouraged that if God has saved us, he will keep us. And if you're hearing today and you're like, I, I, I want to know the Lord, you need to look to Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for your sins. Put your faith and trust in him. It's as simple as just like bowing down like, Lord, I give you control of my life. Lord, forgive me for the things that I've done. I want to follow you. Amazing. Amazing. I I just want you to hear that. I want you to be encouraged 
Now, there, there are 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Used in the New Testament, like God has his remnant. At times, we're like, we're like man, I, I feel like we're alone. I feel like, no, like, look up. Like, God has his people. God's saving more people. God has work to do. So Elijah, he needed a word from God to get back up again. He needed to hear from God. But friends, just what about us? We don't live in the days of Elijah. It's not like after this message, you're like, how much are flights to Mount Sinai? <laughs> right? Like, like where? okay, I'm just going to go alone on top of a mountain like God speak to me. No, friends. We need to hear a word from the Lord, but we need to open up his book to hear a word from the Lord. I want you to just tell you, a little uh, excerpt from the book, The Pilgrim's Progress. The Pilgrim's Progress, if you haven't read it, John Bunyan wrote it in like the 17th century. It's the most printed book in the English language next to the Bible. Bible by far is the most printed read book in the English language, but the next is The Pilgrim's Progress. It's this like analogy about the Christian walk. It's very obvious the things he talks about. If you have not read it, Get your hands on the pilgrim's progress. Be encouraged. So Christian, so it's like, oh, okay, Christian. <laughs> Christian and another guy named Hopeful, they're on their way to uh, heaven. And, and on their way there, though, they get captured by the giant of despair, whose wife's name is Gloom. <laughs> and they get put in Doubting Castle. Right? You're like, so like, oh, I wonder what they're talking about. No, it's, it's very clear. Doubting Castle giant of despair, wife of gloom, and they're sitting there locked in, and the giant's like beating them and leaves them. He's like, I'm going to kill you and destroy you. And as they're sitting there, all of a sudden, Christian remembers, wait a second, I have the key. It's in my breast pocket. I have the key to get out of here. What do you think that was? It was the key of promise. It was the word of God hidden in his heart that he could escape the giant of despair. Doubting Castle, wife's name's Gloom, and go free. It was the word of God. The man who wrote it, John Bunyan, he was in jail for 12 years because he wouldn't sign forms to not preach the gospel. How did he write such an amazing book in that time? He had God's word hidden in his heart. He didn't stay down. He had a word from the Lord. That's what we need to do, friends. We need to open up the word of God. We need to seek God in quiet, but then not just sit there and listen. Open up his book. Lord, speak to me. Lord, I need to hear a word from you. And he will speak to us by his spirit through his word. We need to find those times. It'll help us get back up again. And more than just opening up anywhere, we need specifically, we need to look to Christ in the word. Look to Jesus Christ. Look to who he is. Look to what he's accomplished. Look to who we are in him. Have our identity shaped by him. Remember John the Baptist when he's sitting in jail. He needs to know, Lord, are you the one? It's okay to ask that. You're spiritually low. You need to, is, is Jesus the one? Is he who he says he is? Look to him. He'll reveal himself to you. Listen to this, this quote by Charles Spurgeon called the Prince of Preachers in his time. He, he says this. This is a preacher. I find myself frequently depressed perhaps more so than any other person here. And I find no better cure for that depression than to trust in the Lord with all my heart and to seek to realize afresh the power of the peace-speaking blood of Jesus and his infinite love. And his infinite love in dying upon the cross to put away all my transgressions. That's where we need to look. We need to look to Jesus Christ who we are in him. We need to see Christ in the word, be reminded. Just a few scriptures, Hebrews 1, 3, speaking of Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, it's death on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Like, get your eyes on him. There's this invitation, right? It, Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, who have a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. There's this constant invitation. Those who don't know Jesus, I think that's an invitation to come to Jesus. Those who do, 
Come continually again and lay your burdens down. Find his peace. Walk in his ways. That's where we need to go. We need to go. Everything else will fail us. You're down in the dumps. Everything will we'll get you up for a time. We all need to fix our eyes on Jesus. What's that old hymn? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will draw strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When we're down, we need to hear from God. We need to read the word. We need to let its light shine in our darkness. Have the Holy Spirit form faith in us to look at Christ afresh. Christ who is our hope and our all. We all, we all get down in this life. We've all felt spiritual depression. If you haven't, you will. The lowness. The key is to know the signs, know the symptoms. When, you're, when you start separating yourself from others, you start just focusing on your, your own self, your own problems. When you start saying, my will be done, not the Lord's. Let us learn from the life of Elijah this morning when you get down, and we all do. We need to get up physically. We need to get up by seeking God in the quiet. We need to get up by hearing from God, by meeting God in his word. And just like Elijah, he was down, and God's like, hey, get up. I have work for you to do. For all of us, we cannot stay down. Each one of us, God's like, I have something for you to do, whether it's you know, a husband to love a wife, parents to love their children. Whether, I need you to reach that coworker, that neighbor. Maybe you have a, a sister, a family member. God has something for each one of us to do. We cannot stay spiritually low. We need to get back up again. We need to continue to encourage one another. We need to keep going. We need to make the name of Jesus Christ known while we can, wherever we can. And let God do the work of saving. Friends, God has something for each one of us to be doing here on earth. So I pray we would get up again, eyes focused on the Lord, and continue to walk in his will. May you close with me as I close this, or bow with me as I close this word in prayer. Oh, Lord, I just, I just pray, God, that which is from you seal in our hearts. Lord, I, pr- I pray that anyone who is feeling low, that they would have been encouraged, that we would be built up. I pray for many of us, may we take this word into the future. And may you b- bring remembrance when we need it. Oh, Lord, help us to encourage one another. Even maybe give us eyes to see Maybe those people in our lives who are, who are down in the pit, who are feeling low, we'd be able to encourage, we'd help back out again. But Lord, seal this word in us. Use it to form Christ in us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.